0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. I am Thad Forster and this is episode number 32. So we have made it quite a ways now and today's guest does not need much of an introduction. It's Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Uh, He's a U.S. Army Ranger, a paratrooper, and a former West Point psychology professor. Uh, He also has a black belt in hojutsu, the the martial art of the firearm, and has been inducted into the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame. Uh, Colonel Grossman has also helped trained mental health, profe- mental health professionals after the Jonesboro School Massacre, and he was also involved in counseling or court cases in the aftermath of the Paducah, Springfield, Littleton, and uh, Nickel Mines Amish School Massacres. He's really uh, just an expert in the study of the psychology of killing, and we have uh, just an incredible interview today. We, we cover uh, just a many topics. We're going to talk about veterans' health. We're going to talk about um from his book on combat where he talks about sheep, wolves and sheep dogs and who each of those are and why we need sheep dogs, our warriors. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, sleep deprivation. He's going to throw out a bunch of stats and, and, and really in every, uh, topic that we cover. He's just a very intelligent, passionate and smart man. And he's, he's just, um, he speaks a, around the country, probably maybe around the globe, but he travels over 250 days a year speaking to all kinds of to law enforcement, to the military, to churches, and uh, he's just a very interesting man. So sit back and enjoy. It's great having cool. you. Um, Le- Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And before we get into all the, the stuff that you're known for, I would like to know, because I don't know much about you from from your military career as a paratrooper in and, and 82nd Airborne, and I'm not sure what else. Do you mind just giving us some history of, of your early life?
1: Sure, Thad, and, and an honored to be on board with you. I'm really grateful for all that you and your family are accomplishing in the spec ops community. Thad, I, I enlisted in 1974 as a paratrooper, 82nd Airborne, and uh, was uh, uh, made Buck Sergeant in uh, 22 months which in today's unthinkable, but those are some hard times in the military. I, uh, I, uh, I was really kind of right on the, the edge of E6 when I, I finished my first four-year enlistment, and I, uh, I was a battalion ops NCO, and I had a choice between, uh, going to OCS, re-enlisting where I was for some pretty big money, or one of the things at that time that I was really tempted to do was go to Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, and, uh, and and fight with their forces over there. So I think I probably made the right call. I went to OCS uh, Ranger School, Infantry. Uh, worked in the Ninth Infantry Division as a young uh, lieutenant, uh, a platoon leader, weapons platoon leader, uh, XO, battalion S1. And then uh, uh, the Army uh, did gave me uh, eighteen months to finish my bachelor's degree, uh, which I really liked. You know, I'd, all I'd never done since I was eighteen is get up and. Keep my head against a big green wall. Then I had 18 months to do nothing but go to college. And I said, I want more of this. And so I uh, I worked really hard. I got a, a 4.0 GPA, knowing that uh, my goal was to do more of this later on. And I uh, uh, went to the 7th 9th Infantry Division or the 7th uh, Division of Fort Ord, California, the Light Infantry Testbed. Uh, an awful lot of fun, company command, division ops. Uh, and then uh, went to... Uh, Graduate school in in route to West Point, and uh, I got selected to teach psychology at West Point.
0: Well, what was your undergrad in? Was it psychology?
1: Uh, uh, military history. Oh. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm a I'm a military historian. I'm a I'm a odd I'm a killer. You know, I don't I don't I don't want no stinking psychology, but I, but I would have taken a grad degree in underwater basket weaving. I just wanted to get you know get it <laughs> get out, you know out of the and, and 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 it was amazing because I thought, well, if I'll study psychology, I want to study the psychology of combat, and the psychology of killing, and you know, it really turns out not not homicide, but lawful killing, and it became my first book on killing. And it turns out that the kind of people that would go to get a psychology degree would never study this topic, and the people who studied this topic would never get a psych degree. Uh, you know, the army pounded a square peg into a round hole, and we came up with something really pretty special. My first book. Uh, but basically, written in grad school, uh, it's uh, as a young paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne in the in the 70s. We had Vietnam veterans all around us, and and every young warrior wants to know what's it going to be like, what, what's combat going to be like. Tell us about it, and and people wouldn't talk. It's like this this crazy taboo topic, this this unknown, unspeakable world, and now a you know, as an Army Ranger, as an infantry officer, as a up-and-coming West Point psychology professor, I would interview people, and they would talk, and they would tell me things they had never told people before. And uh, early copies of my manuscript were out floating around the veterans community, and, and it was funny, wives would, would would Xerox a copy off and send it to other wives, and, uh, and they go to their husband and say, what was it like this for you? And he said, well, let me read the book, and we'll see. And and suddenly, for the first time, they're talking about things they never talked about. So my, my first book came out, and... Uh, I went to the to uh, uh, uh i went to uh the british staff college i went to west point uh, uh, went to the british staff college uh, it was Clinton was president the Cold War was over and uh i uh, I wanted to get out from under the flagpole and have some fun and do my own thing and I went to arkansas State University as a professor of military science in charge of their ROTC program. When I arrived, we had less than 20 cadets. And when I left, we had over 200 cadets. We had, we had a blast. It was a great time. And, uh, and I, I'd already been talking. I'd already been having people ask me, military units and police asked me to come speak. I, I retired from the army. My army offered me a couple of neat jobs, but, uh, uh, my wife and I asked ourselves, how can we best use the gifts we've been given to touch them old lives, to make the most difference? And we, it was pretty clear it was time to. To, to go and answer these speaking opportunities. I had a, had a fully funded fellowship at a local university to, uh, to wrap up my, uh, my uh, Ph.D., and within just a couple of months, it's clear I wouldn't have the time. Every day was full speaking, and, uh, and we've done it ever since. And, and the evolution of this is interesting. It was kind of lays a foundation here. I thought the heart of combat was all about the act of killing. But as I continued to teach and present, and during that time, the only ones who were in combat were, were law enforcement. Cops are in the fight every day. Cops are, 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 are in life and death gunfights every day. And I was doing an enormous amount of work in the law enforcement community, this pre-9-11. And, and everything evolved. I, I realized that for those that want to prepare themselves, killing's just not that big a deal. What, what was really important was everything around it. And that became my book on combat: auditory exclusion, slow motion time, uh, how the body responded, what happened afterwards. This was really the taboo topic. This is this is the book that when I enlisted, I wish I had been able to read. On Killing's a good book, being used by a lot of people, both on Killing and on Combat. And Marine Corps Commandants required reading list, Army and Air Force recommended reading list. Uh, but but, On Combat is really the more important book. My son. Uh, Air Force Combat Control deployed in the invasion of Afghanistan, and then one book I made him read was an early draft of On combat. Uh, and so a lot of other books, a lot of other things that we've done, but that's kind of brought me to where I am today, and I feel like I've written the books that when I was going in, I wish I had had available. I was a real reader. I went to the library. I found everything I could on the topic, and and there was nothing even remotely like this available. I, I call this a warrior renaissance. It's a renaissance, an explosion of knowledge about the reality of the battlefield. And so that's kind of where we are today. It's been a great ride. And today I'm on the road. Uh, over, I retired from the Army 20 years ago. And for 20 years, truly, I've been on the road over 250 days a year, uh, training military and law enforcement. And uh, I feel like I've left a good legacy. I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be 61 in August. and it's my prayer I can do it for another decade or two. I have a real sense of urgency. Well you must Domest- <laughs> Yeah. You know, domestically things are crazy. Things are violent and out of control. Uh and uh and then of course the the terrorist threat is very real and the need to hunt them down around the planet is very real. So that's where we are today.
0: Well you definitely left a legacy. I mean i I, I went to a gun range that opened up Monday in my town, last Monday. And it's happens to be called sheepdog firearms and uh, I walk in. It was the very first day. The owners were very nice. They just said, Hey, let me show you around. And I started talking to them. They found out who I was. Some of them are my neighbors, really close neighbors. And I asked him, I said, Hey, is this a franchise? And he said, no, no. He said, let me show you, I'll tell you where this name came from. And I said, I think I know where it came from, but I looked up, they have a big beam in the, the store part of the range. And it's got a quote by you, and it's it's yeah. it cites you, and so they're big oh,
1: fans of you. <laughs> it's been good stuff, you know. These are the best of times and the worst of times.
0: Well, how yeah, long has the? I'm sorry, go ahead, girl.
1: Just domestic violence, international violence. Uh, uh, these are tragic, violent times, and yet they're awesome times to be a sheepdog. They're awesome times to be a, a warrior scholar to do the kind of things you're doing. So please go ahead, Dan.
0: Well, that's that's. I'd love to talk about because uh, I've read on combat, and I, I love what you say about sheep, sheep, wolves, and sheep dogs. Will you? And a, a lot of people can get this information, but I'd love for you to explain the difference and why it is an awesome time to be a alive yeah. and to be a sheep dog.
1: Well, you know, there's an angle on this. It's funny, you know, year after year after year, as you present this, you find better and better ways to present it, better ways to say it. And, and just recently, I found the, the core way to present this concept. Uh, people look at some horrible, violent crime and they say, look, people are violent. Everybody's violent. I said, no, no, now that's an outlier. You give me a big enough population, I'll give you every possible outlier. You explain to me that 99% of our citizens who will go a lifetime, never kill anybody, and never try to. That's the hard thing to explain. Divorce, infidelity, layoff, uh, uh, traffic accidents. Uh, over 300 million Americans bounce off each other every day, and 99% will never kill anybody and never try to. Explain that. That's the hard part to explain. And that is that that resistance, uh, the killing that's, that I believe is built into most healthy members of most species against killing members of their own species. and uh, and, and through training, sociopaths, by definition, don't have that resistance. Through training, healthy people can overcome that resistance, and that's the sheepdog. And so the vast majority of our public are just decent, kind, gentle creatures who can only hurt each other by accident. Now, in America, we have a far higher ratio of sheepdogs. We're an armed citizens. You know, I've got uh, I've got my Sheepdog Kids book, which is really powerful we got a new sheepdog kids book called why mommy carries a gun uh help get the word out about that i will Uh, it's a great artwork great history you know if if you're going to carry a gun mom or dad if you're going to carry a gun uh educate your children you know uh, this is why we do it and and there are wolves out there and we're the sheepdogs and we're protecting our loved ones and if you see a gun stop don't touch get an adult and the four universal gun safety laws and the second amendment and and, and gun storage and responsible ownership and training and uh, and, and, and and it really is deep it, it talks about how you know the 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 British have their 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 knights of old the the Japanese have their samurai and the karate masters but well, we are the people of the gun our heroes are gunfighters and and then we've got this in the back it's one page we got this awesome artwork we found the best artists on the planet and this awesome artwork that just tracks different sheepdogs from 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 the Minutemen to Chris Kyle and and, and many in between that will blow your doors off uh, one page each to just inspire kids about our history and our heritage and our we are the people of the gun we were born in a bloody revolution uh, and uh, and so so in America I would submit to you there's a higher ratio of sheepdogs than most other nations around the planet people who have chosen to train themselves to arm themselves to prepare themselves and, uh, and, and so uh, there are sheep. The vast majority truly are, are just gentle creatures and only hurt by action, extreme provocation. And then there are wolves. The wolves will feed in the sheep without mercy. And, and then there are sheepdogs. The sheepdogs are those who are dedicated to protecting the flock. And, uh, and that's what we're talking about is uh America, more than anybody else in, on the planet today, is a nation of sheepdogs. You know, maybe Israel, maybe Switzerland, uh, just few of the nations that really nurture that sheepdog spirit, that empower their citizens, that to give them the the resources. And, you know, if you wondered what it was night like to be, what, what would it have been like to be one of the samurai, you know, Book of Five Rings, you know, in that era, what, what would it have been like to be one of the knights of old? This is what it's like. We've got state-of-the-art tools. We've got state-of-the-art training. We're given the authority to administer life and death. Uh, you know, that sheep mindset is really pretty pathetic. You know, in England, what they tell everybody is uh, run, hide, tell. Mm-hmm. What happened? To, what happened? Run, hide, fight. You know, uh, you know. what happened to Churchill? We'll fight him on the beaches. We'll fight him on the streets. We'll fight him on the towns. No Now we run, hide, tell. What, what happened to fight? That's that sheep mindset gone mad. In England, if a man breaks in your house and rapes your child and you kill him with a steak knife, you're going to jail. And, and you ask people that are just totally drinking the Kool-Aid on this whole anti-gun mindset. You ask them, do you think that's right? Well, they hang their head and say, no, that, that, that's not right. Even even they can admit that's not right. Yeah. But that's the ultimate sheep mindset. You don't have death penalty. Cops don't carry guns. Nobody has the right to take a life. The state never has the right to take a life. You don't have the right to take a life. And if you, you take a life in defense of your children, you're going to jail. That is that ultimate sheep mindset taken to its to it's It's extreme and and the reality is though that uh that there are wolves out there and and you, that sheep mindset does nothing more than make you vulnerable to the wolf and that's the world we're in today is' this this dynamic between these three bodies and and there are no ultimate wolves, there are no ultimate sheep dogs, there's people in between, and what we want to do is come further up that path, but what we're also talking about is resiliency. In the movie American Sniper, uh, Dad talks about the sheep, and the wolf, the sheepdog. That wasn't in Chris, Chris Kyle's book. They took it straight on my book, with my permission. And and the thing to understand is that that it's a matter of training, of, of preparation, uh, and, and Americans are understanding that, and they're rising to the challenge. In the midst of this threat, we're, we're casting off our shackles of uh, of sheephood and embracing our heritage.
0: Well a perfect example is the stabbing that just happened in whatever happened in London and I don't know all the details but some people were killed and yeah. the cops were saying hide get down get down and and you know I'm a sheepdog he would want to be there
1: so he you could know, it, protect it, it, it just the guy's got a knife you know this this is not a flamethrower this is not a you know AK47 spewing bullets this is an idiot with a knife you know given half a chance you or I, either one could take him down. And if I fail, then I'm the one that takes the stabbing and I've prevented somebody else from being stabbed. You, you and I are the kind of people that go towards you with the knife. And, and 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 we waited a lifetime. We were trained for a lifetime for this. You know, maybe I'm a little older. I'm a little slower. Maybe I wouldn't succeed, although I think I'd probably be able to take him down. But even if I fail, I, I, I take a bullet, I take a blade for somebody else. And that's what we're here for. That's who we are. And and that's a mindset you see completely absent, you know, some idiot with a knife. And, and, you know, funny, I was in New Jersey yesterday training cops. And I told them for that kind of technique to happen, you have to have an unarmed population. Israel had a series of stabbings, just a, a series of people with knives rampaging. And Israel has always had an armed society, but they never had concealed carry. And now they do. They went full bore, shall issue concealed carry. The, the, the mayor of Jerusalem packing heat all the time, telling everybody else to. And, and the, now everybody in the, uh, Israel has been armed, but now they're armed with pistols and ready to respond at a moment's notice. They, they really took that from us. That, that was, you know, we took so much from Israel, but they took that concealed carry model from us. So this kind of a uh, knife attack, this kind of using a car to plow through the crowds, when you've got armed people everywhere, that no longer becomes viable. You, you, yeah. you, you can't do that in downtown Dallas, but you could do it in New Jersey. Forty-three states are shell you concealed carry, and I told them, guys, look, we just had this, you know, the vehicle mowed down a bunch of people, 40-plus in the hospital, uh, uh, six, seven dead in, in England, uh, a vehicle plows through them, and they bail out with knives, stabbing and hacking. Uh, that doesn't work in an armed society. When they do that, they're going to try to do it in one of the seven states that don't have shallow shoot concealed carry. That's a no brainer for them. If they do do it in that state with concealed carry, they're going to find an unarmed victim zone. They're going to find the place where people aren't armed, like that idiot in the airport in uh, in Fort Lauderdale. So, so these, this is the world we live in. This is where the sheepdog looks at these things and says, I wish I was there. Yet I I think I could have taken this guy down uh, and, and I, and I spent a lifetime training and preparing for that opportunity. And and that's what was absent in England. Uh, And and sheepdogs wish we had been there. That's that sheepdog mindset.
0: Well, you made a great statement. Uh, One of the videos I saw regarding, you know, kind of being prepared with with tools or weapons. And you had said something like, I'd rather walk out the door naked and alone than to be with my loved ones without the tools to protect us. Amen. Amen. Yeah. How does it change? Um, you know, I've got small kids and I think about this all the time because I rarely, I rarely leave the home. Well, when I'm with my family, I have, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a concealed carry and so I'm always the carrying. Um, how does it change when you've got small kids as far as protecting them and protecting, you know, or taking down the, the wolf? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you, when you've got children, you've got family, you know, we say in the sheepdog kids book, the sheep will die protect the ones they love. Only the sheepdog loves enough to die for other people's loved ones. And, and we say in Why Mommy Carries a Gun, the second kids book, we say that, uh, you know, all mommies would lay their life down for their kids. The sheepdog mommy has got the training and the tools to, to lay the bad guy's life down for their kids. And, and that's really the difference. You know, that, 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 that the sheep will die to protect their loved ones and throw themselves on the body of their loved one to, and take the knife for them. But but the sheepdog takes that quite a bit forward. The sheepdog loves enough to die for other people's loved ones. Greater love of no one than this. Uh, you know, we were not given a spirit of fear, but of love. And, and the, the sheepdog mommy has the tools and the skills to protect her little lambs, her, her little pups. So that's the difference between the, the sheepdog and the sheep. The the sheep will will die for the ones they love. Only the sheepdog, loves enough to die for other people's loved ones.
0: Dang, I love that. So our I think you may have alluded to this earlier, but I may not have picked up on it. Are are killers? Are they naturally born, regardless of upbringing, or or how does that? How do people become killers?
1: All right. Well, first off, understand that we got the idea of outliers. You got the general population. And then uh, the bigger the population, the greater the odds that there's going to be every possible outlier. The mass murderer, the, the serial killer, uh, these are possible outliers. And there are some people genetically predisposed. and They're, they're rare. But then there are factors that can reinforce that. Uh, child abuse can predispose somebody towards violence. Uh, and we know that media violence can do that. We know how simulators train military and law enforcement to kill. Like a, like a pilot in a flight simulator, like a child in a fire drill, killing a conditioned response. And we know the video games are doing the same thing for our kids. We as, as warriors, we as sheepdogs, we know how we train to kill. And we, we know that the sick movies and the sick video games and the sick TV shows can do the same thing for our children. Well, Today, gang membership in America has exploded. In 2009, the FBI said we have one million true blue gang bangers. Uh, Every two years, they do the gang report. In 2011, they said we have 1.4 million true blue criminal gang members. In In 2013 and 2015, they still did the gang report. They said there's more. They just don't say how many more. The, the Obama administration just locked down, and said, no, we don't want to be saying how many gangbangers there are. So they say there's more. That's just easily two million, a good estimate, extrapolating the data. When I was a kid, I sincerely wanted to be a Marshal Dillon and Gunsmoke. You know, I, I, I had the lunchbox baby, Sergeant Fry. <laughs> it's a fax man. And, and today I'm a reserve cop, but there's a whole chunk of this generation that truly believes the greatest achievement. You so grow up and be The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, and The Gang War, The Grand Theft Auto. If, if I feed you virtuous, honorable, righteous TV shows, if I feed you virtuous movies, then I, I can feed a virtuous individual. But as a child, if you watch the sickest movies and the sickest TV shows, you grow up sincerely believing. One of the greatest achievements in life is to be Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, whenever six shows on now. And so we've got to understand how terribly important it is to feed our children virtuous, honorable, righteous things. Our society right now, the kids overseas fighting the war are flat magnificent. Um, four years into this war, there was nobody left to enlist before the war, and got stuck with the war. Remember, there's always been those people enlisted before the war, got stuck with the war and nobody's been drafted in this war. Mm -hmm. For over 10 years, every single person in this war has raised the right hand to enlist or re-enlist in time of war. So, on the one hand, we've got the kid who truly believes Breaking Bad and Sons of Anarchy and whatever sick gangbanger movies on the day is a great model. On the other hand, we got the ones who truly believe that Saving Private Ryan and, uh, and Black Hawk Down and Band of Brothers is the model that they want to follow. You can almost take our look at our world today and divide it into the two segments: the ones who embraced uh, Sons of Anarchy and uh, and Breaking Bad, and, uh, and The Sopranos are the ones who embraced uh, uh, Lone Survivor, and Black Hawk Down, and Saving Private Ryan, and Band of Brothers. Now, you want to be careful not to expose your kids to any violence at too young an age, but as they get older, feed them virtuous models. Feed them righteous models. And that's, that's really what we're talking about. Uh, and, and our society, you can look out there. The best of the kids are very good. They're magnificent. They've, the last time we fought a war with 100, 100% wartime volunteers was American Revolution. Starting in 1812, we always had people enlisted before the war, got stuck with the war. The longer was, we always had the draft. The kids who are out there fighting this war right now are flat magnificent. The, 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 this, these are the best of times and the worst of times the bad kids out there are very bad they, they've given us sandy hook as adults and Columbine as children they, they, the, the bad kids out there are very bad they're the worst we've ever seen the good ones are very good uh, and they're very possibly the best we've ever seen uh, it's, I tell you it's the best of times it's the worst of times and it's all a matter of what you feed your children uh, be very very careful what you feed your children, protect them from violence at a young age as they get older, feed them virtuous, righteous models. Yeah.
0: Well, what what would you say, like the percentage of our our warriors today
1: are, you know, are prepared to kill when needed to? When the, uh... no, I, I think the vast majority through modern training and through uh, through modern processes, non-virus are extremely rare. Uh, it, it does happen. I had a guy send me a narrative. It was a guard unit. He had been a, um, a forward air controller, uh, the National Guard unit, and, and they were hit hard and it was uh, the air was delayed. And he said it was almost like World War II, only a few people firing, key weapons firing. People would run ammo and do things, but, but there was a limited number of people actually shooting. And that's that's fairly rare in the war today. Uh, maybe a poorly trained uh, guard unit that had not been properly in, in inoculated and indoctrinated but the most of the, the vast majority of the reports I'm getting for the battlefield today are everybody's shooting you know uh, uh, the audio book of On Combat is actually the fourth edition I, the third edition of On Combat is the current book the fourth edition I was able to tune it up quite a bit when I did the audio and somewhere down the line we'll turn that into a, a fifth edition but in that audio was one of the most powerful first-person narratives in a lifetime of, of listening and collecting these narratives I have ever seen. It was a young uh, specialist who was at WANAP, now it's Staff Sergeant McKaig, and, uh, and he sent me the narrative. He, and it, it, you really get this image of the modern battlefield as they're fighting for their life, and everybody's shooting. Now, we got the World War II narrative from on combat, uh, Commando Kelly in uh, in Italy in, in World War Two. And this guy says, Kelly over here and he fires a BAR till the till the barrel's red hot. And Kelly over here and he fires until he runs out of ammo over here and Kelly over here and he's he's taken sixty millimeter mortar rounds and taken the, the safety off and throwing them out the window. He he runs out to the courtyard and takes the thirty seven millimeter anti tank gun and blows a a, a German out of the out of a a, a a church steeple where a sniper is firing. He's a one-man army. He received the Medal of Honor. But what you see is all these other people doing nothing while he is the one running around shooting. And this is really the World War II norm. But then you have the modern battlefield right after that, this fight at Wana, where almost everybody's shooting. With proper training and proper mindset, uh, uh, killing has become a conditioned response. And most people who are, who participate in modern training Will will do well. The non viruses are, are very rare uh, on the battlefield in military or law enforcement today.
0: Well, you've you've talked about the video games and the effects, and you know one thing you said was something like you know our kids have been taught to blow brains out and get points, and and I agree with you. And I, I'm I'm curious, does that, how does that affect our modern day warriors? Is, is is it good for them when they join the military, or is it is it negative or
1: need yeah. You know, it, it's a good question. And I think the jury's still out on some of that. Uh, but in general, for those who choose to focus it in a socially acceptable way, I, I think it's a good thing. Now we don't want to traumatize them at a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I admit, but for those who, as they, as they hit maturity, as they hit their early teen years and they're able to transition into, into, you know, PG 13 movies and, uh, and as they're able to transition into, uh, into, uh, T rated video games, uh, we can nurture that skill in our sheepdogs over time at the appropriate age. You know, I, uh, I was on a, a radio show quite a while back and, and, uh, and a guy said about, well, you know, it's a violent world. A guy calls in. It's a, "I want my son to be able to survive in a violent world. So I took him to say saving private rhyme. You know, for a mature teenager with his father to go see Saving Private Ryan, that's that's pretty good. I said, well, how old's your son? He said, he's five. I said, buddy, do you understand that the men who died on that beach, they traveled to a distant land. They laid their life down by the thousands to prevent the horror of war from coming to America. If they could see you intentionally inflicting the horror Abnormality Beach on your five-year-old child, they would roll over in their graves. Uh, so th- this this is that concept, you know. For uh you know for a mature teen to to see that movie uh, uh, with their you know and, and, and his teens, that's not a bad idea. Protect them while they're young, though. Protect them while they're young. Teach them the love of reading. Uh, keep the screen out of their hands. Keep the screen out of their lives. Get them outside. Get them in activities. Teach them the love of reading. And and then as they get into their teen years, you can begin to introduce them to some virtuous games and some virtuous uh, 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 movies that will nurture that skill in them. But don't traumatize them when they're at a young age. It it has a lifelong impact that can be very negative. Uh, choose choose very carefully what we put in front of our children.
0: Yeah, definitely. Colonel Grossman, what about um, the psychology of self-sacrifice? Which is, you know, you talked about as a sheepdog, really willing to lay their life down for others, uh, including those, I guess, that they don't necessarily love or are close to. But, you know, how are they, you know, how are they able to overcome that hurdle of, yeah, des- of that, the
1: desire to live? That's really a great question. I wrap up my presentation with a photograph of a of a of a police officer on his second trip down for the World Trade Center. My name is Christopher Amorosa. Uh, and just go online and look at the image of Christopher Amorosa. Now, he's carrying a pregnant woman down. He's a giant of a man he's carrying this woman down, basically. And her face is beet red. Uh, and that's the normal response to physical exertion called vasodilation. Every blood vessel is wide open, pumping the oxygen where it needs to go, and your face is flushed. His face is bone white. He's taken below the left cheekbone. On the other side of the head, there's uh, a cut, and he's been burned. Um, but, he shouldn't. but what makes him different than everyone else? You know, drop off that lady and go back up that building and, and die. And, and there's no rational thought of that man's head. When the, when the blood drains from the face like that, the blood drains from the forebrain, there's no rational thought of that man's head. And I, I ask my audience, why? why does one man go up the steps again and again and again while thousands are coming down? And I tell them about the book, uh, The Gates of Fire. And, and at the beginning of the book, about the Spartans at Thermopylae, it poses a question, what is the opposite of fear? What quenches fears? water quenches fire. And the answer is love. The mama critter will die for her babies, but she won't die for anybody else's babies. Only the sheepdog and the great shepherd love enough to die for other people's loved ones. I, I believe that. There's a, a powerful spiritual side to this as well. Uh, I, when, in my presentations, depending on the audience, and may or may not talk about it. Uh, the chaplains brought me out just last week to Charleston Air Force Base, and there was able to talk about it. But I believe one day the, the great shepherd will rest, the, the sheepdog will rest at the feet of the great shepherd. And we yearn to hear those words, well done, their good and faithful servant. But really the ultimate example of sacrificial love is, uh, is 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 Jesus, and and that model of sacrificial love can carry us. And, and I believe it's part of our culture. It's part of our heritage. It's, and 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 we're given this model of sacrificial love. The suicide bomber, they've, they've always got people watching. The suicide bomber, they've shot their video. They've sent their letters. They've said their goodbyes. They know people are watching. But when no one is watching, when no one will ever know. Well, Christopher Amoroso, they tried to stop him from going. People tell him not to go. He's been cut. He's been burned. When well, no one is watching, when people tell you not to go, why do some people go toward their death? And to me, the answer is love. There's a truly a deeper, fuller, greater love, uh, a Christ-like love in, in those who will lay their life down for people they never even met. And a greater love is no one than this. He, he gives his life for his friend. Well, who is our friend? And 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 the answer is uh, everybody. We would be friends with everyone. We would be we would lay our lives down for people we've never met, and and therein lies the greatest love. We were not given a spirit of fear, but of love. Perfect love casts out fear. Yeah, those are all straight out of the Bible, and I and I think there's that that's what makes uh, our faith uh, not not just spiritually but rationally. Uh, redeeming and powerful above all else.
0: Yeah, well, I've never heard it explained that way, but it it, it absolutely makes sense. Uh, can we talk about the the effects of killing? You know, like on our uh, law enforcement or those who have to kill that it's
1: you know legally and you know. Yep.
0: What, you know what do you in, know about that?
1: In World War Two, in Vietnam, we had 18 um, year old kids involuntarily drafted off the street, go to a distant land, kill some guy and done him no harm. For a lot of those kids, killing was hard. But in a lifetime of study, it's become absolutely clear to me, for those who fully prepare themselves, killing is just not that big a deal. For a mature warrior who's prepared themselves, mind, body, and spirit for a lifetime. For a mature warrior who's killing someone who's a clear and present danger to others, it's just not that big a deal. And, and I think that's where we are in this war. We've got mature warriors. We got an evil enemy, uh, and and people in fifteen years of war told me I got no problem killing bad guys in this war, and I believe them. But then they say I got to leave some, got to leave some friends over there. I got to let go of them. That's a the hard part, and that's survivor guilt. And, and what I tell people is terribly important. It's another one of those ones where, where the right way to say it just came to me recently. Survivor guilt is not PTSD. It's normal, it's hard, it's grieving, it's loss, but it's normal. In the normal cycle of life, all of us will bury our parents. In most people's lives, one of the hardest things you will ever do is bury your parents. It's normal, it's part of the cycle of life, but it's hard, it's absolutely debilitating. It is one of the hardest things most people will ever do in their lives. So understand that that survivor guilt is not PTSD. There's not. If, and and if there's some pill I could take that take away my love for my parents and my 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 thinking about them daily, I wouldn't want to take that pill. Uh, so take survivor guilt and separate it from PTSD. And and I, I I've recently come to full understanding that that's that's a vital piece of the equation. Um, you know, you know, why me? Why am I alive and they're dead? Well, just ask yourself this: if if you were gone, and they were driving on. What would they want for you? you know, if, 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 if you were the one that died and, and they're driving on, what do you want for your loved ones after you're gone? Yeah. Well, you yeah. want them to have the fullest, richest, best life they can have. Now, now, they're the one that died and we're driving on. What do they want for us? The same thing, have that fullest, richest, best life we can. So that it's survivor guilt, people think that's PTSD and it's not. And you know, when we talk about PTSD, when you, you re experience the event and you relive the event, you feel the fear, you feel the emotions, that's PTSD. When when you can't separate the memory from the emotions. We want to remember it, we don't want to relive it. Every time we remember it and you relive it, then you're 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 reinforcing the link between the memory and the emotions. The path to healing from PTSD is to remember it without reliving it. And so we do things like, you know, breathing or big swig of water or, or EM, you know, uh, eye movement that, that keeps the emotional part of the brain, uh, uh, involved, EMDR. Well, well, while well you can logically think through what happened without the emotions coming along, but, but understand that PTSD is different than survivor guilt. It's hard. Grieving is one of the hardest things anybody will ever do, but it's part of who we are because we love so fully because we love so intensely when we le- lose somebody it hurts mm-hmm. it is the normal cycle of life and we would not want to be people who didn't love we would not want to be people who who didn't grieve uh, this this is so important that um, for those who fully prepare themselves killing's just not that big a deal survivor guilt is almost like a universal norm and and, uh, and when the veteran talks about their comrades and sheds a tear, that's different from PTSD. That's normal, that's grieving. And I've seen World War II veterans, 50 years after the war, shed a tear thinking about their comrades. And that's okay, that, 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 that's normal and healthy. So killing is not that big a deal for those who are prepared for it. And you know what, I'd like to talk about the, the myth of our broken veterans, the yes. smear of our veterans in the media. And now, can we, can we talk about that for yeah, a minute? Yeah, that's minutes?
0: what I was going to ask you. So let's, let's yeah. do it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what I tell people is you got to find a balancing act between the pity party and the macho man. No pity party. Going to that life and death event, believe it'll make you stronger. But there is so much garbage about our troops in the media. Like 22 veterans a day take their life. You've heard that? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, best I can tell. That's right. Now you got to extrapolate an awful lot of data. Outside the active duty military, all suicide data is is very, very soft. It's extrapolated, and that's probably, probably not far from that. Probably pretty right. Twenty-two veterans a day. What they don't tell you is only one or two of those twenty-two is from the current war. Did you know that?
0: Yeah, I never had thought about it. I didn't know. Yeah,
1: of course, those other veterans. Of course, those other wars. But they don't want you to think about that. Google twenty-two veterans myth. It'll come right up. Of course, there's other veterans, but they don't want you to think about that. It's part of the anti-war propaganda. War is evil, and it destroys everybody, and it shatters everybody. No, it doesn't. A new greatest generation chemical. Uh, you know, we, we all saw Saving Private Ryan. We saw what the World War II veterans lived with. That, that, not for a one-year rotation. Year after year, without end in sight, the World War II veterans face things we can imagine, and they came home, and they were the greatest generation. They were empowered by the experience. A new greatest generation coming home. Nietzsche said, What doesn't kill us only makes us stronger. The Bible said the same thing over and over again. Romans chapter 5. The Bible says we glory in tribulation. For tribulation work of patience, patience experience, experience hope. Hope make them not ashamed. Go back to Nietzsche. What doesn't kill us? That's the name of a of a book I commend your attention on, on post-traumatic growth. What doesn't kill us? The new science of post-traumatic growth. Everybody's heard about post-traumatic stress. Far more important is post-traumatic growth. And so, number one is this, this whole idea of the broken veterans, and they're all committing suicide. It's part of the anti-war propaganda. But how about this one? Uh, an NPR piece, based on a New York Times piece. Over a hundred veterans of this war come home, like committed murder. It's true. Over a hundred veterans, driven mad by war, come home, commit murder. Stop. 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 We've had over 3 million Americans in the war zone for over 15 years. Uh, the murder rate for citizens 18 to 25 is 25 per 100,000 per year. Out of any million Americans in that general age group, there should be 250 murders a year. 3 million veterans in that general age group should have given us 750 murders last year alone. Extrapolate that data back over, over, over 15 years. And statistically speaking, we should have had thousands and thousands of homicides committed by our veterans. All they proved was the murder rate for returning veterans less than a tenth what it is for the general population. And that's always been true. That's a factor of discipline. The returning veteran is, 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 is less than a tenth as likely to commit a violent criminal act as a non-veteran. And that's been always true. But that's a smear of our veterans. They're homicidal killers. I saw, I saw an online piece the other day by an anti gun, anti war group. They said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't trust an attack dog in your home with your children. Don't trust a veteran in your home with your children. They're, they're trained killers and they can't be trusted. And they said, we want to take everybody's guns, but we'll start by taking veterans' guns because they can't be trusted. The, the senator from California said all veterans are insane. And this smear of our veterans. To tick us off right down to our socks. And here's, here's the core of it. What ratio of our veterans have PTSD? The senator from California says all veterans are insane. Uh, I, I, uh, what ratio of veterans have PTSD? Half, a third, a quarter? Lie, 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 lie. The two very best, most solid studies for American troops is exactly the same results as the British troops as the same result as the Dutch troops that have been deployed about 5% of those who are deployed contract PTSD over there. Now, of those who are actually in combat, a little less than 8% contract PTSD. So for those who are actually in the fight, with the Brits, with the Dutch, with, uh, with the two best studies of America, would come up with the same data. About 5% overall, 8% of those actually in combat were darn good treating that. that Where would all the crazy numbers come from? Well, Google this. So, it's a great study, on the first batch of troops coming back from Iraq, and it said, quote, 30 to 40 percent had some symptoms of PTSD. Having some of the symptoms of PTSD is not PTSD, it's normal. Loud noise goes off, boom, you hit the dirt. That's one of the symptoms of PTSD, but but it's also a survival mechanism that'll take a while to go away. So so this is a pretty reasonable study. Google it. 30 to 40 percent had some symptoms of PTSD. And not two weeks later they took one word out. Let's analyze it. Take one word out. 30, 40% have symptoms of PTSD. They took the sum out. Well, oh, if you got symptoms of PTSD, you must have PTSD. So not two weeks later, they took one more word out. 30, 40% have PTSD, and somewhere along the line, they lost the 30. Google 40% PTSD. See so how many times it comes up, and every time is a lot. And and I I I it at national international psych conferences, a British psychiatrist sent me an email, said Dave. He said they're turning British troops around at 5% PTSD. The Americans are running 40% PTSD. What's the difference? The difference is lying dirt bags in the media. Yeah. the Vietnam veteran was spit on. They were called baby killers. And and now the modern veteran is called a victim. There's a whole body of thought that they're homicidal, suicidal, PTSD riddled nutcases when the truth is just the opposite. A tiny percentage of veterans need help. And we're darn good at giving that help that way. you you got to believe the help will help. But the majority of our veterans need jobs. Research keeps telling us a returning veteran is is more likely to be unemployed than a non-veteran. And a lot of it's because people sincerely believe this garbage. If you really thought that veterans were homicidal, suicidal, PTSD riddled nutcases, well, would you want to have one of those working for you? No! And, and so the smear of our veterans, and, and the, I, I keep running into veterans, who think there's something wrong with them because there's nothing wrong with them. So, to so understand that the vast majority of our troops are stronger for the experience. And then, so no pity party. Go to that life and death event, believe it'll make you stronger. But no macho man. If there is a problem, deal with it and have faith the help can help. We're darn good at treating PTSD. The greatest lie out there. How they get away with it. I saw it on the cover of Time magazine, uh, you know, treating the untreatable disease, PTSD. PTSD is not untreatable. It, 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 we're very good. We have hundreds of thousands of cases that have recovered fully or stronger from the experience. I, I trained a SWAT team a while back, and, uh, and uh, during the break, one of the one of the guys, a couple of them, come up and said, "Hey, Colonel, you know," he said, uh, "the doc psych this guy off the team. Now, doc says he's okay. Can we trust him? Yes, you can trust him. He's stronger for the experience. He's got a piece of paper says he's saying, You got one of those." Uh, <laughs> We'll go back to Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor. Um, I talk. I I I was on Marcus's podcast recently, uh, and I got his permission to talk about him across these years. Never been able to talk about them because didn't have permission. But um, I talk about post traumatic stress disorder, like being obese. Post traumatic stress is a few extra pounds. Post traumatic stress disorder is obesity. Can you tell the difference between obese? And overweight, it's all the difference in the world, yeah. So Marcus Luttrell's doc, I I, I I trained his unit before they deployed. I trained him before they deployed again. He wanted to deploy again with the unit. He did. It was a good thing. And Marcus Luttrell's doc at the time told me that he came back from that incident and was 500 pounds PTSD. Totally debilitated. A year later, he's 50 pounds PTSD, and he wants to deploy again with his unit. And I was able to tell Marcus, "Look how far you've come in just the last year, and have faith you can come farther." Well, today Marcus says he's completely post-traumatic stress-free. If a man like that can can be totally free of PTSD, anybody can. So just 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 that 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 hideous lie, uh, you know, PTSD is for life. Well, why would they say that? Why, in the face of ever advancing medical science? Why in the face of hundreds of thousands of cases we treated and recovered fully? Why would any mental health professional say PTSD is for life? Two reasons. Number one, politics. Hundreds of thousands of shattered human beings. They'll never recover. The price was too high. Yeah, we get it. We get it. It's all anti-war propaganda. Number two, job security. If I cure you in two months, I'm out of a job. Yeah. If I hook you to a lifetime of therapy, maybe, maybe with a lifetime of therapy, we can adapt. No, no. We're increasingly convinced if you want to get better, you get the proper treatment, almost we recover fully from PTSD. And, and you know, one last thing, we, we got people drawn disability for PTSD. And, and, uh, I, and, and, and that's okay. But don't let that disability stop you from getting better. No amount of money is worth a lifetime of mental illness. PTSD is something you want to defeat and you want to leave it behind you. And, and leave and, and 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 there's just no amount of money that's worth a, a, a lifetime of mental illness and i keep seeing people who uh, who tell me you know the, the real frontline troops uh, uh, our most elite warriors they you, they don't want to be diagnosed with PTSD if they have it they're going to fix it they're going to get on with their lives the the ones who stayed back at the fob too often are the ones who seek that diagnosis and then Hang on to that 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 uh, that disability pay for the rest of their life. Yeah. So just do a reality check. Anybody, whether you were in the front lines or not, uh, if, if you have a post traumatic response, that that's okay. It can happen to anybody. But get better. And no amount of money is worth a lifetime of 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 of, 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 of mental illness. And uh, and so that's kind of where we are. With the veterans in a nutshell. The anti-war smear of our veterans is just outrageous that the mainstream media are, are, are evil they're just that the, our, our media is under the control of evil people who are who are smearing our president who are smearing our veterans who are deeply invested in a left-wing agenda and and if you gave one hoot in the hell about our veterans this persistent smear in the media should tick you off right down to your socks yeah hey you know one last thing on that you know what uh, uh, the, the the opinion polls the media the the public opinion of the media is lowest it has ever been. Americans disagree on politics. One thing we all rally around is our complete disgust for the media. <laughs> in Montana last week training cops in Montana, and uh, and they had a uh, they had a congressional seat that that they had a, a an election for uh, kind of off off election because the one that the congressman was appointed to a position by uh, by Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the congressman beat the hell this reporter got in his personal space and you know he's sleep deprived he's wiped out and then uh, and, and the reporter gets in a personal face and he beats the hell out of the reporter and he gets voted in by overwhelming margins you know, this is Montana, you get in somebody's personal space, we're going to kick your ass and, and the reporter's ass, you're, you're our hero, that's where we're at today you know I think most Congress, most uh, political leaders, you, you, you know some reporter gets in face, you kick his ass uh, it's going to bring votes. <laughs> we, we don't want to, we don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to claim anybody, uh, that deserves to be beaten. But, uh, but the, the level of, of outrage from media is significant enough. And, 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 and these are scary times. We need our veterans. We need our sheepdogs. And we need to understand how the sheep will attack the sheepdog. He's evil. He's suicidal. He's some homicidal. It's PTSD riddled, not of control in that case. That's the whole sheep mindset, smearing our veterans, and we don't have anything to do with it. Wow.
0: Well, thank you, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to share?
1: You know, one last thing, and I think it's terribly important, and that is the epidemic of sleep deprivation in our military and in our society. Um, and and it's it's primarily driven by video games and social media. I like video games. I, I, they're, they're, once I get all my work done every day, you know, Civ, Civilization, other ones that I enjoy deeply. Uh, it's spend months playing games. But if the games are getting in the way of your sleep, or your job, or your family, you have a problem. If you staggered in the house drunk, two o'clock every night, you know you have a problem. You play video games till two o'clock every night. You stagger into work, sleep deprived. You have a problem. But here's what we know. Sleep deprivation is a key factor in our suicides. Now, there is an, an explosion of suicides in our society, uh, not just veterans, everybody across the board. And in, in our military, we know that our military suicides in the active duty military, the only place we have solid data, our active duty military suicides have nothing to do with combat. A non-combat veteran is as likely to take their life as a combat veteran. They have a lot to do with sleep deprivation. A sleep deprived person can be up to five times more likely to take their life. We, we've always known that a factor in suicide is impaired judgment, and we always knew that alcohol was a key factor in suicide. Alcohol after alcohol it creates impaired judgment. You make you you're 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 drunk. You make a bad decision. You never get a chance to rethink it. But the most common form of impaired judgment is sleep deprivation. After 18 hours of that sleep, your impaired judgment equal to 0.08, legally drunk. After 24 hours without sleep, your impaired judgment equal to 0.10, above legally drunk, blood alcohol level. After three days without sleep, you are psychotic. I will make anybody on this planet see things that aren't there, hear things that aren't there, after three days without sleep. So the video games give an illusion of control. They give an illusion of progress. It's very seductive to people under stress. And again, there is nothing wrong with adults playing video games. But recent research shows us video games are responsible for 15% of all divorces in America. And, and, and actually, in the younger ages, it's quite a bit higher. Not a whole lot of six-year-olds getting divorces over video games. <laughs> so, so just all of you out there, examine your soul. Examine your heart. If you're shown up to work, sleep deprived, if you're if you're you're, you're shutting out your family for, for 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 six, seven, eight hours on end, uh, playing video games, you have a problem. Uh, and and the critical point on this, teen suicides have exploded in across Canada, across Europe, across America, teen suicides at levels we've never seen before. Thirty years ago, I lost a little brother to suicide. Five years ago, I lost a nephew to suicide. If you have kids, especially teenage kids, you should be scared sick about suicide. And the one thing we can do is send them to bed at night and take their cell phone away from them. No cell phone in the room, no laptop in the room. They have got to go to the room and sleep. I mean, until the day comes that they're old enough to walk out of your house, as long as they live under your roof, they will not take their cell phone to bed. They will not take their laptop to bed. And and, and, uh, I had a cop tell me. He said, I had a good girl. He said she was an A student. She said, Dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You you can trust me. So I did. He said, a little while later, she took her life. And he said, I never knew the hell my little girl was living in until we looked at her cell phone. And the text message just the endless, relentless, ceaseless, vicious bullying Sleep deprivation and merciless bullying come over that cell phone all night long. You know, the kids play in the video games, most of them won't be killers, but they'll be vicious little kids who take, who take great pleasure in making other kids suffer. And the bullying is just epidemic. And the sleep deprivation is a key factor in traffic accidents as well. Uh, for, 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 for decades, the number of people killed in traffic has come down almost every year because of airbags and seatbelts and medical technology. In the last couple of years, the number of traffic fatalities are back up, and that's because of sleep deprivation. The number one and number two killer of our teens is traffic accidents and suicide. And sleep deprivation is a critical piece of both of those. Please, please protect your children's sleep. Uh, No laptop in the room, no cell phone in the room. You should be scared sick about two things, traffic accidents and suicide. And the number one thing you can do to protect your children from those two threats is make sure they get sufficient sleep. And and, and, and who's going to be your mommy? Who's going to make you get that sleep? And I tell my cops, I said, you know, it's good to have something to look forward to at the end of every day. It's good to have a hobby. You know, block out the world. So turn off the world. Shut out the family. An hour or two every night. Play your video game. The timer goes off, ding, use your steely warrior discipline, save the game, get on with your life. People say, Wow, 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 wow. I play a metamorphic online game. Can't do anything an hour or two a night. Well, okay, that's all right. Decide now what's important. Is your job important, your health important, your family important? Was well, the game important. The game's what's important, that's cool. Quit your job, move into your parents' basement, <laughs> unemployment, play video games. Millions of people are doing that. But you want to have a job, you want to have a family, you want to have health. That there comes a time when you got to sit those things aside, and 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 get sleep and focus on the things that you need. So the, the major epidemic in our veterans, and in our society as a whole, and in our children, is sleep deprivation. It is a key factor in an epidemic of suicides and a, and a tremendous increase in traffic fatalities. Uh, our, our, our veterans need to understand that uh, that is a biological need for sleep. And we've got to make it happen, and we've got to got to deal with that. Uh, and, then, and that's kind of like the the note I would, uh, the life saving, life transforming note I would send people off with. Uh, I know you've you've interviewed Dr. Kirk Parsley before. Uh, I've, I've got a few other nuggets on sleep we can use some other time. But uh, it's been an honor talking to you, Dad. You're you're doing you're doing mighty deeds, and uh, and uh, and I, I I praise God for you. And I thank you for what you do.
0: Well, same with you, sir. I really appreciate you. This has been an absolute pleasure, and. Well, wow, closing it up with uh, the sleep deprivation is—you uh, know—you you you put an angle on it that I haven't thought about. But I've always been a big advocate of sleep, and and I've I've read books and listened to a lot of podcasts recently about the importance of sleep. You know how and and I hadn't thought about it with suicides. I've just thought about it with you know depression and with yeah. weight gain
1: and you know just yeah. overall health. Yeah, and traffic accidents and suicides. You know when yeah. when you mention them, boom, it's obvious. You know
0: yeah and then the effects of the blue light from your screen that that helps prevent your body from getting into that deep sleep or it takes it longer to just to sleep so
1: Absolutely.
0: yeah something I've never done uh, or rarely rarely have I taken any taken any device to my to my bedroom with me and because uh, when I hit the bed I'm out
1: that's beautiful
0: well uh you're a great American, I really appreciate you sir, and uh I will i think if uh I guess we'll just wrap it up here.
1: All right, thank you, um, brother. Iron sharpens iron. It's an honor to be a service. Keep up the great work. God bless and stay safe.
0: There you have it, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. That was an awesome interview. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I would like to know what you thought about it. So shoot me an email, Thad at patriottothecore.com. That's T-H-A-D at patriottothecore.com, and let me know some takeaways that you got from the interview today. And also, I want to thank you for listening and taking an hour out of your day or night to listen to my podcast and especially this episode. So, uh, please, uh, go out and enjoy the rest of your day or your night and hope to hear back here. You hope to have you back in, uh, for the next episode in two weeks.